0: Okay. Well by the way, I haven't looked at this in like six to eight years, so it's, this is this is odd.
1: <laughs> okay. No worries. <clears throat>
0: Has anybody noticed the electricity and life brimming over with me? I haven't felt this good since well, a long time. Can people read it on my face? It seems that they can. Playing in my head all week has been this dramatic, slow-motion montage of a spectacular baseball sequence, one where I'm coming out of the dugout, adjusting my batter's helmet, and handed a bat. The roar from the crowds is startling. I can hear what each of them is individually saying. Women scream, you can do it! Men yell, go for it, Baby! I wrote that because I knew myself that as the years would go by, I would lose the pathology of the way I was thinking. You can do it. This is it. You're on the right path. Go get yours. This may not be right, but all I wanted to do was rob one bank and just to feel what this was like. That's all I wanted. This may sound strange, but I, I looked at it in really practical terms. I said, Well, I would like to do it this year. Let me look at my schedule. If you want this experience, it's got to happen between these two months, because after that, you need to buckle down for grad school. From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love & Radio. I'm Nick Vander Kolk. Today's episode... Choir Boy, featuring Tom Justice. I grew up in Libertyville, Illinois, which is about 35, 40 miles north of the city of Chicago. It's where people grow up straight and right and are polite, and so was I, to a point. But high school was pretty good, popular kid, got elected as class president senior year, My general public persona is square, nice guy. Oh, that's the type of guy I want my sister to date. But I wanted something else. I wanted to be something else. A friend of mine and her family, they used to go to watch the bike races at Northbrook Velodrome, and they simply asked if I would like to go with them. You know, they sat in the bleachers, got popcorn, and... I was really impressed. I'd never seen anything like that before. I bought a track bike at RRB Cycle Ray in Kenilworth. Yeah, and then freshman year, I was racing bikes on a track bike. You kind of know as a teenager, like, hey, you're good because you're faster than adults. It offered um, an identity. I'd started DePaul's Master's of Education program to be a public school teacher, but I wasn't completely committed to it. I had a list of things that I wanted to do. I was a caseworker at a social service agency, went to the French Foreign Legion, applied to the priesthood. So I was kind of on a pattern of seeking, not satisfied. Wouldn't that be cool to rob a bank, I had a list of things that I wanted to do and bank robbery was just on it. It's like the great American crime. It's a part of our movies, it's part of our books, and it's part of our folklore. As an honest thing to do. You will not believe how many people say, oh my God, I've always wanted to rob a bank. What's that like? I just had the desire. I'm gonna rob the bank in my hometown. To just quench that interest. I just plotted out, how could I do it? How could I get away? How could I just enjoy that in a slow burn by myself? You know what? A cop is not going to stop somebody with shaved legs and a tight outfit and a riding helmet. It's sort of like the opposite of the profile. In order for it to be successful, like in many things that are physical, it's helpful to sort of block through the motions, almost as an actor would... I had a sort of blind or a safe spot. That's where I put my bike. I practiced physically walking the distance from my safe spot to the front door of the bank. Once I had that physical distance, I would actually count the steps, I would count the moves. Now I don't have the same space in my tiny apartment, so I would march in place. I created something that's a similar level to a transaction plane at a bank. I would clear off like a, a bookshelf in my apartment. That substituted for being in the bank. I wanted to practice having the note, taking the note out of my back pocket, presenting it in a cool, crisp, fluid motion. I would practice literally hundreds of times
1: How old were you when
0: you, when you robbed your first bank? The first bank robbery was in 1998. I think it was 28. I told my girlfriend, you know, I'm going to spend the night up with my parents. I got some things I need to do in the morning. I go back up to my parents' house and I set the alarm clock. You know, it says 730. I said, you know what? I'm robbing a bank tomorrow morning. I should probably wake up a little earlier. (laughs) <laughs> so i'm like you know let's go 6:45. that's a good time i took the sort of back way from our place to the bank so i wouldn't be seen on the major roads once i got to the spot lean my bike up and make my setup and as i'm walking to the bank i have this like unusual like Unusual bounce to my step. I'm scared, but becoming proud of myself. I'm doing something I set out to do.
1: And is there, at this point, is there still a voice in your head going, Tom, don't do this? This is crazy.
0: Strangely, there's like a tractor beam pulling me towards completion of this. It's it's almost as if I'm not in control. I've laid out orders for myself and I'm letting them happen. A spectacular baseball sequence. I've written one where I'm coming out of the several short stories about what it feels like. Adjusting my batter's helmet. It's like nothing else. And handed a bat transcendent. Beautiful, serene. It happens in steps. It's a gradual plateauing from your safety spot, your skiff, then the butterflies begin. This is really happening. Your walk, your approach to the bank, it begins to really sort of really kicks in when your hand pulls upon the door of the bank. That's another step up as you're approaching the teller window even higher Sir, she said I can help you over here and I go good morning like I did a hundred times I my back pocket I pull out my note open the note present her the note but for some strange reason so that it didn't blow around or something there's a little breeze of air conditioning I held on to the note and so it's between my index finger and my thumb she picks it up as if it's a standard bank transaction paper, and both she and I are holding the note at the same time. And she reads it, and she looks up at me. She looks down at it again, and she begins to pull harder on it, pull harder on the note. And I decide that I don't want to give her the note. And now I'm pull. I'm I'm not pulling on it, but I'm just clamped down on it, I'm like and it's like a tug of war. And I said pink I pulled it back from her. And then I, uh, with my left hand reach in my left pocket, back pocket, and I hand her the uh plastic bag. And she be and she fills it up uh from her drawer. This particular bank is large, cavernous, and uh there's no intimacy. And so it, nobody detected that there was something wrong going on. So yeah, she she slid the uh the bag across. And uh, and I said, thank you very much. Then there's the walk back, a long, long walk back because your instinct is to run. You can hear commotion going on and you don't really know. Is there somebody running after you? you? Can't really look back. And it's also, at the time it was a really exciting walk because you have no idea what's gonna happen. Got to my blind, my changing spot. All of the physical repetition of me doing this hundreds of times, it all came into play. Take off all of the clothes that I was wearing in the bank underneath, cycling clothes. Put on your helmet. Put on your glasses. Put on your messenger bag. Grab your bike. Swing your right leg over the front handlebars. Foot in. Click. Start riding. No need for the money I had no need for the money. I just like you know it's just something to go back to visit like hey look what I did the amount taken from the first bank was like around five thousand dollars. I put the money not where I was living, but I put it in my bedroom of my parents' house I stayed there for like three four months I decided to revisit it so I went back, opened the plastic bag. I remember dumping the money down in a pile and saying to myself, oh my God, if my mom finds this, she'll be so pissed. That entire thing I I tossed in the uh, McDonald's dumpster, and another fast food dumpster. All of the bills that were like in sequential order, like the 20s and the hundreds, I believed from being a student of television, crime shows, that they could be trackable. I would put those in packets and I would, put them in key spots where homeless men would hang out at in Uptown in these uh, bags, these uh, brown lunch sacks. But the important part was that I had to make the brown bags not look crumpled and junky because if they look crumpled and junky, why would you even open that? They had to look pristine and crisp.
1: So some of it you just threw away completely and then some of it you tried to give away.
0: Right, oh, I definitely kept all the two dollar bills for some reason. I was not afraid of those uh, I, I because they were in sequential order, and I would take out one or two and um those were cool souvenirs
1: and then how long before you did the next one?
0: It was a full year later, right around the same time I'm taking another class at DePaul right around October, and I was sort of feeling kind of you know just blah with my life I was sort of like sad in a general sense but also bored in that I thought life was going to be so much more I thought life was going to be like a book life was going to be like a movie and I was sort of coming to terms that it's not like that and I decided you know what I'm going to use this as a little boost and th- this should be it so we're going to look at this thing that you wrote
1: called mostly twos
0: <clears throat> hmm. yeah I know I'm doing this because I've worked something out that is difficult to explain but easy to understand once you've experienced it kind of an eastern pedic, pedic- oh my god Kind of like an Eastern pedagogical philosophy, a lesson learned in time thing. But the thing is, you must be responsible with it. Oh, you seem really responsible to me.
1: What's happening in this? Like, you're having a conversation with...
0: Yeah, yeah I'm having this conversation with the teller, the imaginary conversation. And I, I stole this technique after reading... Um, what's that cat from Lake Forest? Who Heartbreaking Work of staggering Genius, Dave Eggers. I saw this as a technique to have imaginary conversations with people. I can sense your pejorative inflection, and under the circumstances, I know how this must appear. She shifts from one foot to another, then raises her eyebrows. Okay, this is it. Here it is. I am inconveniencing you and this institution, but the loss you are experiencing will be much less by comparison in dividends to how it empowers me to create a positive, compound effect of supercharging my goodwill and Samaritanism, not to mention giving all the cash away. (laughs) You give all the cash away? Yes, well, all of it except for a memento of a newly minted crisp bill, maybe two, which are typically $20 bills. But if there are $2 bills involved, I keep all of them. Little kids love those. I always give those to the kids. <laughs> That's really how I felt. That is honestly, I mean, that is honestly what I believed. That I was somehow boosting myself. Like, I'm sorry that I'm in- inconveniencing you, but I'm in a thing right now. Because what bank robbery did for me was it made me feel something that I was special again. And... That was like, that was like medicine, or oh, better than medicine. It was medicine and growth. I, I, yeah, I was. I, it made me a better person. I. That's what I thought at the time. But it made me into a better person because, without it, I was just, I was nobody. I was common. The first one. And then the second one, I thought, oh, well, this is just sort of like a bad bottle you reach for. What changed was it, when, the, when the robberies became more clustered and I needed them more. It was when I was training for Olympic trials in San Diego in 2000 for bike racing uh, as a Category 1 which I was, there's only a handful of them in the United States, so we are. I'm an automatic qualifier for Olympic trials. So I'm in San Diego training for the, for the Olympic trials. I strained my back to such a level that I, I literally couldn't get out of bed. I was also robbing banks there in San Diego. It was just sort of something to do. After injuring myself, I knew that the Olympic trials was gonna be not a reality. But I was just going to sort of roll back home to Chicago. That moment was extremely depressing. That's when the sort of bank robberies sort of like kicked it into high gear. I was looking in the uh, Chicago Reader for our roommate. This is May of 2000. And this guy, he's like, hey, you know, I'll check out the apartment. And he's like... I'm not here most of the time because I work nights, so you and I probably won't see each other. You work nights, I'm like, okay. (laughs) What are you, are you an exotic dancer? He said, no, I'm I'm a Chicago police officer. I'm like, I'll take it. I thought this was an interesting dynamic to rob banks and live with a cop. I said, I can't pass this up. They called me the choir boy robber simply because when i went in to rob a bank i simply presented my note to the teller across the transaction plane returned the note into my pocket and then i simply placed my hands upon the transaction plane i would just put your hands fold them nicely just put, put them right there put everybody at ease i don't want to freak anybody out i felt like i felt like i had something i mean i knew i had something but i had a secret and that's mine running along in life. People would say, Oh, I just did this, that, and the other, or I have X, Y, and Z items. Inside, I was just grinning like, That's nothing. I rob banks. That's nothing. I rob banks. <laughs>
1: So I need you to say, you know, in whatever year it was, I moved to the Bay Area.
0: Okay. So I could say um, in the spring of 2001, I moved to the Bay Area and it was a spectacular time to rob banks.
1: (laughs) What? No. (laughs) Why was it a spectacular time to rob banks?
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, something, something new is in the air. I mean, there was an electricity... I fell in with a group of people they had like a wild I sound like a a, a really old person talking about young people they had a wild, wild streak about them (laughs) no, but they had there was like this untamed nature about this group of people that I was attracted to because I was on that wavelength myself and it was my first exposure to hard drugs that feeling of using created a really similar experience to robbing a bank. There came a point where all the dope ran out. And i like, wait a second. I know how to get money. Now, this is kind of late in the game. This is my last six bank robberies. So I robbed 20 without using anything for dope. But the last six I robbed with the express purpose of using that money for dope. in Walnut Creek, California, suburb of San Francisco. The bank robbery, everything went great. I'm in like the third floor of a parking garage and I'm cruising down on my bike. I'm entering this alley and right as I'm about to exit the alley, a cop car passes me. I could tell that he applies his brakes. I continued on my bicycle and then I could tell that he's behind me. There's a hospital uh, sort of like uh, ambulance parking zone. So I kind of pull in there and and I start to adjust my rear brake and derailleur just to buy some time and try to think about what I should be doing. And sure enough, he pulls right into the spot. He's super friendly. Really nice guy. So, what's going on? Uh just adjusting this. You know, uh, there was a call about a disturbance back there. So if you don't mind, just hang here for a second. Sure, of course. During our back and forth, I've put one foot into one of my pedals. I clicked into one of my clipless pedals. He's like, you know, if you can, you need to uh, get off that bike. I'm going to check out your bag. And I said, sure, absolutely. Um, I just need to click this other pedal in first. They're kind of like counterbalanced so I can get out. He said, fine click my left foot into the pedal, take a look to the left and right. I start riding away, full speed, everything I've got. The policeman says, he's on the move. The cops had closed off the block. I'm on my bike, I'm going into ongoing traffic. On my left side, I can kind of see there's like a big ditch. This is like now half a mile away from where he stopped me. And I thought, I am not going to get away from this on my bicycle. So I, I see the creek, which I now know as Walnut Creek, the namesake of the town. And I toss my bicycle, throw it to the right, and I go left. Now I'm waist deep into this creek river. I look and I find this vegetation. It looks like a critter lives in there. Some sort of like river critter. And it's all thorny. And I said, this is it. I just crawled into this tiny space. You can hear the cops top of the creek. Okay, we got them trying to, you go down here and blah, blah. I laid there for about five, six hours. Over the course of the five, six hours was... Uh, helicopters looking for me, police dogs so close I could hear the jingle of their tags. It was after I realized that probably a shift change in law enforcement was happening, that it was safe. And I just sort of pushed myself out of that thorn bush hole, got back up and walked the two miles to my car. That was a long walk. A long, long walk back. I didn't have anything with me and I wanted to not look like such a, so nervous and such a freak. So I pulled out my, my small wallet and I pretended that my wallet was like a cell phone and I put it up against my ear and I was talking with my wallet. It added an air of Normalcy to someone walking down Main Street who's half wet with a bag, you know, like a bag of money.
1: Why didn't you get rid of the money? Like, when you robbed the first one, you were so careful, and then now you have actually a real reason to be afraid of being caught with it, and you you held on to it.
0: I don't know, because I because I was going to use that money for dope. I knew it would mean nothing if I had tossed it, that all of this was for nothing.
1: And you knew, you knew they had found your bike, presumably, right? Were you worried about
0: that? I was worried about it sick for like the first month. But when two months and then the third month had passed and they hadn't arrested me, I thought, they're not coming to get me. If I put you as a private person on the case... Here are the pieces of evidence. Here's a bike. Here's a helmet. You yourself would be able to trace it within two days. When the federal government took three months, I thought, they're not coming. But the wheels of justice are slow, but sure. In, I think it was May of 2002, as I was pulling away from my parents' house after uh, having dinner there, Local police, as well as several FBI agents, pulled me over. I was arrested in Ace Hardware in Libertyville, Illinois. We hung out at the Libertyville Police Department station for a little bit. And then they, the two FBI agents drove me. It uh, was pretty funny. They drove at like 100 miles an hour at <laughs> down 94. I, I've never been out in a car going 100 miles an hour. It was incredible. I mean, it was scary because I wouldn't have a seatbelt. I was scared. Now, mind you, I had, had no concept that what I was doing would affect my family, mother, father, sister, you know, nothing. And I've been so selfish for so long. I knew it was going to, Affect my family when they came to visit me some one or two days after I'd gotten arrested. And I saw the pain upon them. And I, 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 I it felt so bad. I, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about them. I think for me, nine years in prison, um, there was regret, but it was regret out of self-pity. I think that's a romantic fantasy that the world at large has, that prison is contemplative and it's like a, a convent or seminary. And it can be, but the reality is, is like you're just who you are but you're just in there. Did I treat it like a, a contemplative time? Yeah, I did. You know, I completed that master's degree in psychology. I wrote a doctoral dissertation proposal, and, which took a lot of time and resources. And in terms of regret, I didn't figure out regret or that I was supposed to feel regret until I got out.
1: Do you, do you remember how you and I first met?
0: Um, you came into the bike shop at Upgrade Cycle Works in Chicago, and I was working there. And you came in with your bike. I said, well, will have to schedule a consult with one of the mechanics."
1: Yeah, and <laughs> when I picked up the bike, you basically told me your whole story. You told me you had just gotten out of prison for robbing banks. I was just, I was really surprised, I guess, that how quickly you came out with that, and I felt like you were even like flirting with me like it was a way to talk to me do you like would you still do that now
0: no i would not do that now my thinking at the time is it was that i was still in the mindset of prison bank robbers have a great status in prison i developed this sense that it's you know that it was okay it took a full year for me to figure out that I should not mention prison when I meet somebody. Because I came out thinking I had I'd done my time, I'd, I'd done the crime and done the time, and now I should be able to float on some sort of cushion of, I don't know, c- civil, civil credit. I'd gone into a bike shop. It's a really nice bike shop. It's a RRB Cycles in Kenilworth. I'd gone there since I was a teenager. This is a magical place in my mind. And when I got out, I, had, I wanted to stop by so many places. I was in the halfway house. I was driving around and flitting about in my car. And I went in there and I sort of just gave shorthand my situation and how long i have been in bike racing. and And instead of what I had imagined it to be like, oh, well, welcome back. You know, that's all behind you and stuff. It was not like that. It was, it was not like that. It was, do not come back in here. Do not come back in here without them saying it. They were saying, do not come back in here. It just, it was the opposite of the sort of homecoming I had dreamed of all these years. Don't come back. Hmm. I understand now that that that's not really it's no, it's not it is not something to be proud of. I you know because I, I thought that this thing, this crime and prison time, this albatross, this this ball and chain, I wanted to shine it up, detail it and use it as a badge of not a not a badge of honor but as a I did something I mean I didn't do it it's hard to describe it it's it's such a huge part of your life and it's going to define you how can I not use it in the rest of my life but the, but the truth is you can't you I mean you can't because it's alienating. It's, um, it just shuts doors. So it's, it's been an adjustment. Bank robbery was my medicine. Um, but, what, but what do I do now? I don't know what it is. I'm okay. Honestly, I'm, I'm doing okay. But I'm still waiting to find something to get my, Pickaxe into something in life, something that's good, something that's decent.
1: I'm still looking for it.
0: Okay, um, shall I go ahead? Hi, my name's Tom Justice. I robbed 26 banks in three different states. I served nine years in federal prison. And now I'm out. Life's good. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Brendan Baker and me, with help from LaShante Goffigan, Brandy Freeman, and Gwen Maxai. But our main producer for this one is the one and only Katie
1: Mingle. We are a production of Radiotopia, whose founding sponsors are The Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. Thank you for downloading.